two. Testy, testy. Boom. There we go. And we're live. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So, hello, everybody. Welcome to the live stream. Hope you are well. Um, hope you're all well on this Thursday. Uh, I know I'm a day late. I do apologise. I was supposed to do this last night, but uh, trust me, I was very, very sick. I won't go into the details, but you don't want to know. Uh, okay, I'm seeing that my live stream on the YouTube's a wee bit sort of jerky, jerky, but it'll, it'll catch up. It'll be fine. Apparently the audio's fine. I still have this problem. For whatever reason, when I start my software, the uh, the upload speed from my uh, my, uh, my my broadband just collapses. <laughs> I don't know why. I've tried. I've tried fucking everything. Yeah, and I've I've just give up. So, but it works out okay. So here we are on the live stream on the YouTube's. Like, share, subscribe, click the buttons, do the thing. They're all down there, you know what to do. If you have any messages, say hi in the live chat. Um, if you have any questions, I really do have a, an absolutely brown packed podcast tonight, and I'm going to. I'm just going to blast through it because there's so much going on. Uh, as I talk to you, the DUP may not exist. Literally, it was just this. I'm a few minutes late coming out here because I was watching the news and shit and trying to catch up. And uh, yeah, so we'll get into that. We'll get into that at the end. We'll put. So, oh yes. So I've rebranded the podcast, as you may be able to tell. So I've, I've called it Politics, Culture, and some other shit. That's what it's now called. Um, so I think that covers everything for me: politics, culture, and other shit. So I'll get to talk to you about that sort of stuff. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is um, the G7. That's going to be the politics thing, mostly. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about a little bit of culture. With I found some awesome Japanese cinema mixes on uh, on YouTube. I'll share that with you, and uh, a wee bit about UEFA and the, the European football championships. Give me a second. Hold on. Okay, so let's do this. Turn that racket off. Off. Theme off. So, first things first. It's a big news story from last week. The G7. The G7 happened in Cornwall. What is the G7? G7 is this, this, the, the group of nations that call themselves the seven richest in the world. Of course, we live in a capitalist society, so rich, richest is defined by monetary wealth though there are some countries that should be in there that aren't and some countries that are in there that shouldn't be all this sort of stuff it's very complicated but basically it's just it's just a club of neoliberal capitalist people and they get together once a year they used to they used to get together in like uh you know big cities so they go to monaco or you know rome or london or 
New York fancy places, nice place, you know, sort of centralized places, I should say. But then the people were protesting too much at them for their liking, and they had to. Uh, what would we say? They pushed them out to the extremities of whatever host country they're in. So they so they went to Davos, halfway up a mountain in Switzerland, and. This week they went, last week they went to Cornwall. And they, they, so they don't pick these major capitals anymore. They all, they go off into the sticks. Uh, hoping that the protesters don't get to them. And it is working, to be fair, on their part. It was very clever. Oh shit, I haven't recorded this. Need to start recording. Uh, the, um, yeah, so it, it did work. Fair play to them for that. Because there was mass protests. It was getting quite violent. Antifa and not that not Antifa, what do you call them? Black block and all that. They all started turning up and all sorts of shit. Throwing throwing bins through McDonald's win- McDonald's windows, which I have no problem with, personally speaking. So what are we going to talk about tonight? So as I said, we're going to talk about the G seven. So what has happened is um What has happened is Boris Johnson has gone to the G7 as a representative of his country. It's fair enough. And I've got so much stuff I want to talk to you about tonight, but I'm not going to have time. So I'm just sort of clicking away things here. So... So Boris Johnson went, and I mean, it's basically you have to be a statesman, right? So you go to these things, you have to be a statesman. It's in, it's it could loosely come under the term international diplomacy. Uh, that's what that's why diplomats are good at that sort of stuff. They're good at glad handling rooms and m- making connections. Ireland happens to be very good at it. Boris Johnson's a big fucking buffoon so he goes expects to be able to bluff and bluster and guffaw and stumble his way through this all the while threatening to undo uh, the, the Northern Ireland Protocol and the withdrawal agreement and the thing about Brexit and it pissed a few people off Joe Biden says Joe Biden was very diplomatic, actually. He didn't say too much, but in, apparently in private, he did bring up Ireland and the North and that they expect this, um, the Northern Protocol, to be adhered to and for the, the the peace in Ireland to be to be protected. And Joe Biden, whilst Joe Biden is saying this, what is he holding over uh, over over Boris Johnson's head? that he can make this demand well quite simply it's a trade deal it's a trade deal with the US and if you don't be nice to Ireland you will have no trade deal so there's that so here we go I'm going to read you a quick uh, let me see if I can just did I get a wee snip from it I didn't but I do have some video do have some video from it. So I'll play you this first. This is actually Boris Johnson 
at a press conference. Tell me what you think. Teenth, um, uh, two thirds of, of of adults aged uh, uh, all adults in the country would have had uh, would have had two doses by the end of um, uh, of uh, so by July by, by July the nineteenth. Uh, we will have uh, all adults, everybody over 19, um, uh, two thirds of, of, of adults aged, uh, uh, all adults in the country would have had uh, would have had two doses by the end of um, uh, of uh, so by July, by July the, the 19th. Uh, we will have uh, all adults. That's what went to the G7 to talk to Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel and Joseph Biden and all the rest of them. And leaders of the EU, Ursula von der Leyen. I don't think Michelle Barnier was there, but Ursula von der Leyen was certainly there. So here's an article from the BBC about it. So tell me what you think. So Boris Johnson says he will do whatever it takes to protect the territorial integrity of the UK after talks with EU leaders over Northern Ireland. Now, that's just a lie. <laughs> <laughs> straight away, straight away, we know that's that's just a lie. The prime minister said there'd been a misunderstanding on the EU side, but said he thought pragmatic solutions would be found to border issues. Uh, meetings between the two sides took place at the G7 summit in Cornwall. French President Emmanuel Macron said he was willing to reset UK relations if it honoured the Brexit deal up here instead the disagreement between the UK and the EU is over the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol a measure in the Brexit deal which prevents checks on trade in the Irish across the Irish border some checks are taking place on British goods entering Northern Ireland causing disruption to food supplies Mr Johnson has held meetings with the European Commission chief Ursula von der Leyen European Council head Charles Michel, Mr. Macron, and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel in the margins of the gathering at the Cornish Resort Carbis Bay. Ahead of the G7, the EU had said its patience with the EU was wearing thin after the UK said it was prepared to ignore rules to prevent disruption to trade in Northern Ireland following Brexit. Mr. Johnson told the BBC political editor Laura Koonsberg the Tory party uh, representative inside the BBC. I think that, to be fair, there's quite a lot of misunderstanding about the EU, about the situation in Northern Ireland. The balance of the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process, I was just in a gentle way getting across what that means. And I think what we have are some pragmatic solutions. He added he thought the EU leaders understood that it is the prime duty of the UK to uphold the integrity integrity of the United Kingdom and said the government would do whatever it takes to ensure that. Now there's so there's so much bullshit in that it's it's genuinely you wouldn't you, it's just you just don't know where to start, be perfectly honest. So you reference Emmanuel Macron. Now I'll put this little video up. So and it was a a, a back and forward between Macron and uh, Boris Johnson were that thing about the sausages where Sammy Wilson comes out with a packet of sausages saying you can't get British sausages in fucking Northern Ireland like we need the import sausages from England to north the north of Ireland which we don't for a, 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 a politician representing 
this part of the world. He uh, he couldn't get that one much wronger. But it's very typical, and it's exact. It's actually it's actually indicative of exactly where the DUP and Ulster broader Ulster unionism has gone wrong with the whole Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol thing. Because as I've said right from the very beginning, what they should be doing. What they should have been doing right from the start is celebrating Northern Ireland with the protocol. So we know Northern Ireland is now governed by consent of the people. Not bec- you, you don't get extra because you're a Protestant. You don't get extra on your plate because you're a Protestant, which is the way it was before for the first 50 years or more of the state. So now it's by consent. And most people are con- most people are happy with that. A very small minor, very small minority, or not. But then, what is it? The old saying: "To the privileged, equality feels like oppression." Something like that. I think I butchered that a little bit, but that's the general idea. So instead of Sammy Wilson and other unionists saying, "Well, let's just don't worry about it. We've got great sausages here. We will imp- we will export our sausages to the rest of the European Union, whilst our English, Scottish, and Welsh brethren, brothers, and sisters can't do the same." So we've got a lovely advantage, sir. That's what they should have been saying. But no, another own, another open goal missed in favour of an own goal. So here's Macron. Uh, sorry, the sausage thing. So the sausage thing was Emmanuel Macron, uh, uh, Boris Johnson had said, how would he like it if you couldn't send ship sausages in between uh, Paris and Toulouse or something like that? And Macron said, yeah, well, Par- it's not the same because Paris and Toulouse are in the same country. Ooh, burn, right? So that's what Johnson's remarks were there. You know, he was getting on, saying, Are you saying Northern Ireland isn't in the same country? Well, it's fucking not, but either way. So here's a lo- here's, here was Macron's reply. It, he, does, he doesn't speak English, Macron, so I will, I will read the subtitles. And I don't speak French, so don't, don't be thinking. If you're listening to this in the podcast, don't be thinking, Oh, your man's translating live. No, he's not. La France ne s'est jamais permise. France has ne- never for a single moment disputed UK's sovereignty. Brexit is achieved of this very UK sovereignty. And I took up, and took up thousands of hours of EU leaders' time. We Europeans know all about UK sovereignty. No other European country has made the others spend so much time on its sovereignty. We respect it. Because of Brexit, we put these rules in place. Over a period of several years, a protocol on a future trade deal. All we want is for it to be respected. Seriously, calmly, professionally. It's as simple as that. When Johnson became the PM, he refused the backstop which Theresa May had wanted. It did reconcile the sovereignty of UK territory, the Good Friday Agreement and the single market. Johnson knew very well back then there would have to be checks. And he himself signed a protocol about Northern Ireland, meaning checks. Full respect of sovereignty in Northern Ireland cannot mean respecting the sovereignty of 27 member states 
we have created a single market with free movement but outside border controls. You cannot blame the EU for your own incoherence. I do things very calmly. I think we should all calm down. I want us to achieve together what we decided together a few months ago. Calmly and with mutual respect and looking for arguments each morning is not the right way. There we go. Um, when he's referring to, when he's referring her to uh, looking for arguments each morning, it's the British media. As um, a couple of journalists that I follow, Naomi O'Leary being one of them, says, if you, you know, you, 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 these leaders read British papers, they read everybody's papers in the morning. They get the headlines. They know what's going on. They know what's being said. So and and just on that as well, there's another little video here from Barn Michelle Barnier. I shall do the same thing. I shall read Donc, point que conteste aujourd'hui Boris Johnson était bien dans l'accord. Il était bien So I will read the um, the subtitle. Donc, ce point que the point is being contested, Barnier, but this is the, not contestable. Mr. Johnson negotiated through his team professionally, word by word, comma by comma, sentence by sentence. This entire agreement which dates the UK, uh, October 2018, this was the first treaty I signed on behalf. The second one had other subjects about fishing. This one was all about the conditions for peace. It concerned the concrete operational solutions we found to respond to the problems created by Brexit and nothing else. And I ask today, as an EU negotiator, that the British respect their word, that the British and Mr. Johnson respect his signature. We expect nothing less from a country as serious as the UK. So, you can, you can sense there that you can sense there that um, the EU is getting pissed off, and they are getting pissed off. Ursula von der Leyen, also, although I don't have the comment, but she said, or do I? I think it might be a do. I'll just check. No, I don't have it, but she says they wrote the agreement in English so that the English would understand it. You know, that's that's basically what it's boiling down to. And we know we know what this is about. That you know, the the, the the DUP are making out. I mean, again, as I as I speak to you, there may not be a DUP. I really don't know. Uh, and as as we know, the DUP have been putting pressure on the hard right of the British Tory Party, the, the ERG group, the e, or European Research Group, as they, as they're they're called. But. W- the ERG have got their Brexit, so they've got their Brexit. Why would they be making this noise? Well, I think this reason, because it's not going well. We're, we're hearing of the promises that were made throughout the Brexit campaign, which were all lies. They're not being delivered upon. Industries, fishing industries, farm. Now this, the fishing industry's fucked. Uh, now the farming's going to be fucked because of a trade deal that the British, that the British have negotiated with Australia. Apparently all the, the ancient English, Welsh and Scottish hill farms are now all under threat. Australia is going to um, potentially flood the British market with cheaper beef shipped from Australia. Australia is one of the biggest exporters of beef on the planet. 
So, with these little stories, what they do is they'll distract. It's classic. It's classic political technique. They'll distract. Look over there. And they'll make out... Like, do you actually think that Edwin Poots and Andrew Bridgen and all these goblins give a shit about Northern Ireland? Or not Edwin Poots, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings himself says, I don't give a shit if Northern Ireland was pushed into the sea. I don't care. And I believe him. He's the only one who's telling the truth. He's a wee fucking psycho. But he's telling the truth. And that's what this is. This is distraction from dom- from domestic issues. The only thing is, it may not gather, it may not gather enough legs. It may not get legs because the English public generally don't care much about Northern Ireland. Why should they? They've got their own things to worry about. I don't want them to have to care about us. I want us to go away and do our own thing with the South, reunite, and we look after ourselves, and you look after yourselves, and everybody will be happy. So. Just talking about Dominic Cummings. Now, this is hilarious. Again, this is properly fucking funny. Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. Excuse me. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. So, one of the things again, and it shows you too the uniformity of of the media of the British press. The biggest story that happened in such a long time. I mean, politics moves that quickly these days. You know, like I'm literally preparing for. And I've videos and notes and everything all done and and oh yes sorry just before I'm, I'll do it in a second actually I'll, I'll show you it anyway um, as I'm getting this stuff ready it, everything moves out quickly that you're in danger of being out of date by the time you get your podcast done that's the truth you literally could be it could be you could be it happened to us during the football, uh, the world when the club World Cup was announced, we were doing a podcast, and as we were doing it, we were out of date, <laughs> me and Richie, and so this is the thing: the biggest story that's happened recently is Dominic Cummings giving testimony to the, that parliamentary committee. What happened to that? I just went away. It was. You know, it was fish and chip wrapper that night. It was just done. That was it. That should have been a huge story. That should have brought any government down. As someone says, if the Perfumo affair happened today, he would have been promoted. And that's true. So, Matt Hancock. Here we go. Headline from... Sky News referencing because Dominic Cummings had to uh, then pers- he, he made certain allegations about what was going on in Downing Street and then they asked him well do you have evidence he says yes I have texts whatsapp messages documents etc can you provide this committee with those 
with, with, with those. Yes, that's your account. So now he's provided them. And one of the things that he... <laughs> this is brilliant. So, I'll read it out to Boris Johnson's former chief aide has shared a WhatsApp message in which the Prime Minister appears to call Health Secretary Matt Hancock's efforts totally fucking hopeless. Dominic Cummings has been engaged in a weeks-long feud with Downing Street, published a lengthy blog post that he claimed showed details of how number 10 Hancock had repeatedly lied about the failures last year regarding the coronavirus um, response. Amid his more than 7,000 words, Mr. Cummings also included a series of screenshots from what he said were his WhatsApp exchanges while working in Downing Street during the first wave of the coronavirus pandemic last year. Now, this is last March, right? So, in one exchange, Mr. Cummings said, was part of the late-night messages on the 26th, 2020, he and Mr. Johnson are, show- Johnson are shown to be discussing actions from MH, MH, Matt Hancock, current Secretary of State, Secretary of State for Health, in boosting the UK's COVID testing capacity. The screenshot shows a reply from the Prime Minister stating, totally fucking hopeless. Mr. Cummings added shortly after receiving that message from the Prime Minister, he had a series of missed calls from Mr. Johnson, who was calling to say he'd tested positive for COVID-19. The Prime Minister replied, it's Hancock, he's been hopeless. In another exchange said to be from the 27th of April last year, Mr. Johnson is suggested to have openly wondered about taking responsibility away for procuring personal protective equipment away from Mr. Hancock and giving it to Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove. The Prime Minister wrote, on PPE, it's a disaster. I can't think of anything except taking Hancock off and putting Gove on. Downing Street would not be drawn on the WhatsApp messages, but did did not deny they were genuine. The Prime Minister's official spokesman said Mr. Johnson continued to have full confidence in Mr. Hancock. I am not planning to engage with every allegation put forward. The Prime Minister has worked closely with the Health Secretary throughout and will continue to do so. Asked if there were security concerns. I don't plan to get into day to day to day. Okay, so that's that. So Matt Hancock, totally fucking hopeless. Now, Matt Hancock had an opportunity to respond to those allegations and this is what he said. There you go, Matt, Matt Hancock, Secretary of State for Health. So, um, this is this is this is what we've been dealing with. This is what we're dealing with with the with the the British government. And I'll, I'll give you, right. Someone says to me the other day. Well, asked me a few times this past few weeks. Any gigs coming up? I said, Yeah, yeah, we have a gig coming up. Thirty first of. Show you the poster. Thirty first of the month. There she blows. Uh, in the Diamond Rock Club. Are you looking forward to it? Someone says to me. Says I, I don't expect to get to play it. And they say, why is that? That's very pessimistic. I says, surely no. Is that not realistic? The government has literally screwed up absolutely everything. Like when you go through the list, and it is, it's a lot, like it's over a year now, it's a year and a few months, year and a quarter, let's say, from last March, 
although we could go back to February. They've screwed everything up. Everything that they've had, they've been tasked with doing, they've balled up. The only thing that's gotten going right is the co- the vaccine rollout, which is important, and the furlough scheme. Both of those things had nothing to do with private industries, apart from manufacturing the vaccine. I think the va- that those private industries should have been nationalised across the planet until the... Well, I think they should have been nationalised anyway. But um, at least until this pandemic is over. That's my opinion. So, do I expect to get the play of this gig? No. I genuinely don't. I hope I'm wrong, of course. Of course I hope I'm wrong. I want the play gig. I miss it. It's a part of me. It's a it's a it's a part of who I am. What I it's how I exist. I need to play a gig. I don't expect to get to play it though. So just on there's the, um I picked this up on Twitter as well. It's just a little thing. Do you want do you want to hear um? Matt Hancock, Secretary of State for Health, responding to his allegations that he's totally hopeless again. Okay. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So, what else? Let me just see what else we've got here. I've got a load of stuff. We're going to talk about... um, We're going to talk about Japanese cinema funk. That's in the culture bit. We'll do it towards the end. Because it's fucking class. So. That's the sort of the news stories that I'm going to go through. Well, we'll, we'll talk about. We can talk about the DUP. Actually, we'll talk about the DUP now. So. What's happened. For those of you that don't know. The DUP. Uh, are currently in a crisis. And a pretty fucking serious one. As we speak, as I speak, they're having a meeting. And Edwin Poots may be out of a job. That's what I mean. The, the news thing goes so quick. This may be the time I get out of here. This may be out of date. It probably will. And so the Irish language. This all this goes back to the Irish Language Act. The Irish Language Act was a part of the ND and a new decade, new agreement thing. And it was another agreement that. The DUP don't want to be a part of, but they're they're in government and they have to they have to um, follow the thing. So a part of it was that they were going to implement an Irish language act, and that incorporated that also incorporated an Ulster Scots uh, element to it and an Ulster British element to it. I don't know what that is, but it's in there, and that's fine. I have no problem with that, but. The Irish Language Act hasn't been implemented in 10 years and it's a cause of great frustration. If you remember whenever whenever uh, Martin McGuinness brought down the Stormont Assembly uh, so many years ago now, it was over, I spoke about this last week, the grant to the LIFA organisation. It was a £50,000 grant that was supposed to go to the LIFA organisation that, that they used to send underprivileged children to the Gaeltac. And that money, and Paul Given who Edwin Poots has nominated, as, as you can read in that headline, has nominated as First Minister, was in charge of the budget, and he, it was him that pulled that money. And I remember listening to uh, 
Martin McGuinness in a meeting in North Belfast in a community meeting in a hall and the the, the audio recording, there was people shouting, bring it down, after the LIFA grant. This is not about a £50,000 grant. This is about mutual respect and equality. All that stuff. All that good stuff. That's what this is about. So that's why that happened. So now Mary Lou Macdonald from Dublin has pressured the British government into passing. They're now going to implement the Irish Language Act. Now there's a Scottish, Scottish Language Act and there's a Welsh Language Act. More language doesn't make you worse off. But this is not about language. This is about the suppression of culture because that's how an empire stays on top of it, of, of, of a, a native and dominated people. You deny them their culture because your, your culture connects you to your past and gives you a vision of your future. And if you don't have culture, you, be, you can become dominated. And that's a part of the whole the homogeny of capitalism across the planet. It removes culture. If it can't be bought and sold in the capitalist market, it has no value. And that's what we're talking about here. And so all cultures get repressed, suppressed, and moved into second-class status in favour of capitalism. The ability to buy and sell. And we'll talk about that in a little second. of have a little video about that. So. I know why the DUP don't want to. Implement an Irish language act. Especially. People like Edwin Poots. And as I said. Literally as I said. I could be. I'm going to check on. On on Twitter here. But I could. This could literally be all out of date. So. Let me just check this one. Yeah. So, there's a wee article here, a short one from The Independent. And it explains basically what I've just said to you. I won't, I won't read the whole thing. A crisis meeting of the DUP is to be held on Thursday, today, afternoon, after Edwin Poots defied party representatives to go ahead with the nominating the Paul Given as First Minister. It wasn't without last-minute drama, but the officers of the First Minister, Deputy First Minister, were filled on Thursday afternoon with Mr Given and Mr O'Neill taking up the rules. A stalemate over Irish language legislation ended in a series of late-night meetings at Stormont on Wednesday, with Secretary of State Brandon, Brandon Lewis pledging to push it through, but through Westminster if the Assembly does not does not do so by the autumn. There was a scramble on Thursday morning, however, when it emerged, several senior DUP figures sent the party leader, Edwin Poots, an email outlining their concerns over the decision to end the stalemate, essentially asking him to stall the process until he had further consulted with members. Basically, D Edwin Poots isn't right-wing enough. Edwin Poots isn't hardline enough. That's what this is. A remote meeting was held between Mr. Poots and the dissenting members with only minutes to go until the Assembly was due to meet to ratify the First and Deputy First Minister at 12pm. It has been reported that the DUP representatives voted against nominating Paul Given. But just a few minutes after 12, there was white smoke as Mr. Poots and Mr. Given entered the chain chamber opposite Michelle O'Neill and Sinn Féin's nominating officer, Conor Murphy. Both the DUP leader and now First Minister are understood to have walked out of the meeting before the vote was actually taken. 
a meeting of party officials, and that's what spurred this meeting. They're in a meeting, another meeting now. So the DUP mem- party membership didn't doesn't didn't want to nominate Paul Given as first minister. They didn't want to nominate anyone as first minister. They wanted to bring Stormont down rather than implement an Irish language act. That's what this is. Edmund Poots went over their heads, nominated Paul Given anyway. And the party called an emergency meeting tonight, and that's tonight. That's going. That's what's happening right now. Confirming Mr. Given as his pick for first minister, the DUP leader spoke of how his colleague walked into his office as a teenager. Oh, right, okay. We need more people like him to win for unionism. Blah 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 blah. When I was, when I was, when I was. Blah blah blah. So we'll move on from that. A couple of little tweets here uh, from a guy called. Jared Manley, I don't know who it is, just stuff I came across on the on the Twitters. And he sort of sums it up. The DUP pushed Arlene for abstaining on gay therapy vote. Poots democratically elected leader doesn't really want to lead, so chooses Paul Given to lead. Said he won't implement the Irish Language Act, then says he will, which he then doesn't, to which the British government, whom the DUP want to be governed by, then implement the Irish Language Act, whom the DUP says suddenly shouldn't be governing us, say it goes against the Good Friday Agreement, which they opposed. Put said he won't participate in North-South bodies, and then does. So they have a vote of no confidence in Puts, who they democratically elected to become their leader, but not their actual leader, three weeks ago. That's, that's, that's breathtaking. But that's it. It really is. That's that's your I'll read that again. Because it is a, it is a concise synopsis. The DUP pushed Arlene for abstaining on gay therapy. Puts democratic puts democratically elected leader doesn't really want to lead, so chooses Paul Given to lead. Said he won't implement the Irish Language Act, then says he will, which he then doesn't. To which the British government, whom the DUP want to be governed by, then implemented the Irish Language Act, whom the DUP says suddenly shouldn't be governing us, say it goes against the Good Friday Agreement, which they opposed. Put said he won't participate in the North-South bodies, and then does. So they have a vote of no confidence in Put, who they democratically elected to become their leader, but not their actual leader, three weeks ago. And that's the summation of it. That's literally the summation of it. That that's I mean I mean that's it. And and that's what we've ended up with there. For those of you listening to the podcast and not watching, why not come over to the YouTube's, like, share, subscribe, everybody. There's a picture of uh, Michelle O'Neill walking through Stormont holding a two-year-old Edmund Boots by the hand. Come along, Edmund, do your told him there's a 10 pm up in it for you later and that's where we are i mean the d what's going on with the dup is is beyond belief i i i don't i don't get it i, do, I don't understand how you get here how, literally how do you get here they seem to be completely without direction completely without direction and by the way it's not like we were at war the day before yesterday and they just haven't caught up 
the Good Friday Agreement was over 20 years ago. And there was a ceasefire three or four years before that. The way for the D, the DUP have to make Northern, the Ulster Unionism has to make Northern Ireland work for them. I want the United Ireland. But I can say this with total confidence. I know that they're not going to do this right. I know they're going to fuck this up. So I, 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 can stra- I, I can give them what I think is a good strategy. And it is a good strategy. Sell them the protocol. Put money in your constituents' pockets. Make the health service better. Make the outcomes better. Make this a more attractive place to live for everybody. For everybody. Sell it. From day one, the DUP should have been going around England. All those industries that were predicted to be fucked. All those businesses that were going to... The, 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 the people that can't drive their, their vans and their lorries to Europe. We've got a spot for you in Belfast, boy. A nice wee warehouse over here for you. The fishing industries that screwed the... Now the farming industry is going to be fucked, so they should be selling it to their own people. That they, the farmer, the very farmers that they convinced, which is unbelievable, they convinced to vote for Brexit. I don't get that. I just don't get that. And this is why there's a certain certain quarters. There's not a lot of sympathy for for unionism because of the fucking hubris and and stupidity shown throughout. The entire process, going back six, seven, eight, nine years, if you want to go back to when this stuff really started to pick up some legs, and that's and but that's what they should be doing, and they can still do it. It's not late. It's not too late. You know, they can still get away with this. They can still do this, but they won't. And that's why I think I can, with confidence, talk with you. About this and say this is a good idea. That's what and and now and you say well what happens then? Well then, uh, Ulster unionism puts itself on the front foot, and the seemingly seemingly unstoppable momentum of Sinn Fein going forward, which is a more socialist left wing message, becomes muted because people in the north have got money in their pockets. What say you know? Again, I'm a nationalist. I want the United Ireland. But that's an easy strategy for the DUP and for the Ulster Unionists to try and sell or, or, or to try and, um, what am I going to say, try and achieve. It's easy. But it would, well, it would involve a bit of hard work and we know that they're not fond of that. But anyway, so there we go. So. That's the DUP. Again, there may not be a fucking DUP by the time this podcast goes out. And we'll move on to the next subject. So I want to talk about... I'll just clear my screen up here. We're going to talk about... Cristiano Ronaldo and the European football and um, Christian Eriksen. So, so for those of you that don't know, and I'm sure most of you do, because it was a huge story. It was huge. It was, I mean, Jesus, it was massive, wasn't it? So during the week, so last was it last Friday? 
can't remember what day it was. The European Football Championship started. And there a picture on screen, a very distressing picture. I'm in the pub with my mate Richie. We're watching the football. And at some point through the first half, a footballer called Christian Eriksen collapses on the pitch. Clearly in distress, but by virtue of the fact that he's not moving. Cameraman didn't really spur anyone. Any, they weren't worried about sensitive um, uh, constitutions here. It was a close-up of the man's face, and you, you knew he was dead. I said, Richie, he's dead. That's what a dead man looks like. And he was dead. He had a massive, turns out, had a massive cardiac arrest. Cameraman still didn't cut away, and they showed you him getting chest compressions, and then eventually the uh, the the electric shock from the defibrillator. And it was very distressing to watch. It really was. We left. We left the bar. Obviously, the match didn't continue, and we just left. We walked home in silence and in shock. Thank fucking God! Within the hour, there was pictures doing the rounds on on Twitter and what whatever, and our WhatsApp groups and whatever. Said he's the guy's awake, which is an absolute miracle. Even the man was dead, and he was dead. He had a cardiac arrest. His heart had stopped. The medical staff got to him very quickly, and as I said, the defibrillator saved this saved the man's life. Now, here's the point of my story. A few years back, it was in it was it was quite a few years back, like fifteen years ago. There was a Gaelic footballer called Cormac McNallan, and he cardiac arrest on the pitch. And since then, there's been a big... At the time, particularly, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this clearly. There was a big push to get defibrillators put in public places, especially sports ground. Sports grounds. And that happened. And so the GAA is, is very good with this sort of stuff. So here's a report from the results of those defibrillators being available. And this is from uh, a Derry County, I don't think he was a county player, but he played. He plays Gaelic football in, in Derry, a guy called Kevin McCloy. So, and the headline is, in a wee short paragraph here, cardiac arrest, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a defibrillator. When I picked up my phone and read that it was definitely an eerie moment, it sent shivers down my spine. On Saturday, former Derry Gaelic footballer Kevin McCloy received a text from one of his old teammates to say that he was thinking about him. Sorry, I said this happened. This is on Friday. This is obviously Saturday. Kevin was unsure what his friend meant until he was told to tune into the Denmark-Finland Euro 2020 match. Being held in 2021 because of COVID. Denmark midfielder Christian Eriksen had just collapsed on the pitch. He had suffered a cardiac arrest and needed emergency treatment including CPR and a defibrillator on the field. The event had particular resonance for Kevin, a former Levy GAA player, because he had also suffered a cardiac arrest during a game in 2014. Kevin's club had defibrillators at the ground as a result of the high-profile campaign that followed the death of Tyrone GAA star Cormac McNallan, 
who died of a heart attack, heart, hidden heart condition in 2004. The portable defibrillator was invented, listen to this, the portable defibrillator was invented by Northern Ireland-born cardiologist Professor Frank Pantridge in 1965. Kevin says he owes his life to the device. He said, It is a positive thing that there's more awareness around the importance of defibrillators, and I think we should be training people as young as primary school aides to use them. Without the Cormac McAnallan campaign, the people who gave me CPR and who knew how to use a device, I wouldn't be here today. And that is absolutely true. That is absolutely 100% true. Now, what happens with a cardiac arrest is your heart speeds up. starts to go... And it goes up 250, 300 beats per minute, and then it stops. And it's an electrical... Because, you know, we have electrical charges going through our body. That's what makes everything work. And it's that electrical charge that has just has gone out of whack. And the defibrillator resets that. And can restart a stopped heart. So, that's... That's, that's how important that or how fantastic that simple piece of technology is well i say a simple piece of technology i remember i used to coach at a cycling club I used to coach kids we used to go on these courses and it was around it was maybe five or six years ago and they got on to us about carrying uh, it was out at the lake because we were using the lakes which was a public facility public ter- public park a craigavon and we were bringing these kids around a couple of times a week and coaching them and training them to race and stuff. And we were doing all the courses to try and stay on top of the health and safety stuff, of which there's a considerable amount. And at one point, I remember someone coming and said, listen, you just, someone's going to have to carry this defib. This is a new thing. You want to carry do, do these training courses with this defibrillator. And it was quite a brick. But we did it. And it you know, we didn't have to use it, thank God. But uh, it was fairly simple technology so if you're ever in a position and you see them you do see them stationed about from my father told me there the other day that there's one on the road in William Street sadly it's vandalized so there's that to contend with imagine having to imagine going to grab that and it's vandalized and it's hard to believe that people would vandalize such something so precious but there you go the instructions are all written on it, so don't be afraid. It tells you what to do on it. So if you haven't had the training, it tells you what to do on it, on the actual fucking body of the thing. And it's simple. It's only a couple of steps. You know you know the thing. Boom, you clear, and all that stuff. But there's a little bit more information. But you don't need much, much more than that. So if it's ever, if it's ever in your... Uh, if it's if it's in your uh, fate to be a part of a scenario that involves that, best of luck to you. Don't be afraid. So, um, so that's that. And the, and it, apparently, your man Ericsson, Kristen Ericsson, is going to be fitted now with the. They call it on the news a heart starter. I wonder is that a pacemaker? Is that what that is? A pacemaker. I don't know, but thank God he's fine. It was a very, very distressing thing to watch. I'm sure most of you probably saw it live, as I did. I, I, I it's sitting there enjoying my paint, and that shit comes on. Oh, it's shocking! It really is bad. So, listen, right, another little um, 
UEFA 2020 European Championships little championship story and it's to do with one of the greatest footballers ever lived I don't have a picture of him because I thought I had and I don't let me just see and it's about Ronaldo I don't know if you know this Ronaldo gave a press conference now what did Ronaldo do at the press conference well I've when they sit down at the table, they have the sponsors on the... So, if it's sponsored by Coca-Cola or Heineken or whoever, they'll have a couple of bottles of their product about. Ronaldo is a fantastic role model for kids, and he takes it very seriously. And he moved the bottles of Coke off the table and set water down. And So, I'll show you the video, do you see? He only says one word, it's agua, which is water in Portuguese. So, where is it? There we go. So, you get this little... Check this out. So he sat down, for those of you listening, he's just moved two bottles of coke off the table. There you go. Agua. Coca-Cola. And he dismisses Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah? So we'll show you that again. There's the two bottles in front of him. He reaches across. That's the end being slid out of this out of the way. Agua. Coca Cola. And, and then he dismisses Coca Cola. He goes Coca Cola. Right? So here's the thing. Here's a wee headline for you. Cristiano Ronaldo's Coca-Cola bottle snub has cost Coca-Cola. How much do you think that cost minutes after that happened? The stock market on the stock market. Have a guess. Pick a number. You're wrong. Four billion dollars in a stock market slump. Fuck off, Andy. I'm telling you, where do you hear this? In the hours, a stock market slump, in hours after the Megastars press conference drama, football megastar Cristiano Ronaldo's high-profile removal of a pair of Coca-Cola bottles out of camera shot in the press conference has reportedly cost the soft drink giants $4 billion fall in its share price. The Juventus star snub came before he broke several records on Wednesday in defending the champions Portugal's 3-0 win over Hungary and Budapest. The first goal of the late brace saw, saw the 36-year-old surpass Michel Platini's European Championship goal haul of 9 by improving his tally to 11 and become the first player to appear and score in five editions of the tournament. He is some boy. Yet before the kickoff, his exploits in the press conference made for a far bigger global impact. Sitting behind a pair of Coke bottles... Alongside the team's manager, Fernando Santos, Ronaldo grimaced at items before removing them out of camera shot. He then took a bottle of water, pronouncing its Portuguese name Agua, and muttered Coca-Cola to himself, disgusted, with the action coming at great cost to the Atlanta, Atlanta-based drinks giant. One of the main sponsors of the tournament, which has been held in various cities across Europe, Coca-Cola's share prices dropped down 
to 55.22 billion represent from six oh i've got i can't read that it doesn't make sense to me anyway it was it represented a 1.6 percent dip in total its value market plummeted from 242 billion to 238 signifying a drop of four percent players are offered water alongside coca-cola coca-cola zero sugar on arrival at our press conference remarked spokesman until now coca-cola has yet to respond but with devout Muslim Paul Pogba moving a bottle of non-alcoholic beer out of his way following France's 1-0 win over Germany, there is talk that major companies may now be rethinking their strategies behind football, major, behind sponsoring major football tournaments. So, well, I'm sure they will continue on to sponsor them, but where else are they going to get the biggest sports stars in the world to sit in front of their crap? And it is crap. So there we go. Fair play to Ronaldo. I think that was brilliant, to be honest with you. I thought that was very good. I'm, I'm dead into that sort of stuff. So, I wanted to... Right, we're going to finish up. Nearly done. Um, I wanted to share this little... It's a little skit I picked up on something, Twitter, I think. And it's... I should have played this at the, at the start with the Boris Johnson G7 story. But it's too good not to share it with you. So here it is. So what it is, is the, the guy is pretending to be Boris Johnson's media advisor. So, meet you here. Hello. So here we go. Stand up, obviously. It's only a wee minute, I think. Hello. Hello, Alex. Oh, don't like the look of this. Uh, try to make the Prime Minister stop talking before he humiliates himself and embarrasses the world. Your time starts when he opens his mouth. I think that is what uh, the people of, the, uh, of our countries now want us to to be sure that we're beating the pandemic together. Uh, very good, just end it there. Discussing how we'll never have a repeat of what we've seen. Yep, okay, good um, point, you can stop now. But also that we're building back better. No one knows yep. what that means, but... And, uh, and building back greener. Great, now and, stop. And building back fairer. Oh God, look, I need the points this week, please stop. And building back more... Shut up! Equal. And Building back equal is not a sentence. Nothing has been a sentence so far. Uh, how shall I? More, in, in, in a more gender neutral and... Oh, no. Perhaps I'm a more feminine way. <laughs> how about that? Oh, you absolute <laughs> burp. <laughs> I'm not going to get anything for that, am I? I mean, what kind of task was that anyway? I thought I'd be playing golf with Satsumas or something. I didn't really sign up for that. Thank you. <laughs> so there you go. Now, just on that, that's, you know, whenever Emmanuel Macron was talking about, you know, we expect to to deal with the UK professionally, and that's that's what he's to deal with, that fucking halfwit. And he is a halfwit. Do, 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 don't let the accent fool you. Good at certain things. He's good at manipulating things. It doesn't mean he's particularly clever, and I don't think he is very clever. 
So, we're nearly done. One more little update on the Van Morrison and Ian Oak story from last week. So, as you may know, um, Van Morrison and Ian Oak, as I reported to you on last week's podcast, fucking disgraced themselves. Uh, there's been a little update on that. So Van Morrison now targets... I have a picture of them on the screen there. There's Ian Oog on the right-hand side of the picture. And young Van the Morrison on the left. So Van Morrison targets Robert Swan and Arlene Foster. So Van doubled down. Right? Ian Oog didn't. He did something I never thought I would ever see him do. He apologised. So Van Morrison has bizarrely questioned whether Arlene Foster should be arrested and once again taken aim once again taken aim at Robin Swan. The Belfast singer songwriter targeted First Minister Mrs. Foster after she sa- she sang at a press conference following the British Irish Council on Friday. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Basically, Arlene Foster when she sang, someone says, "Have you got a song or whatever it was?" She said, "Are you bitter or whatever?" And she says, "She says that's life." She started. She, she sang. That's life, that's what all the people say. He's riding high in April, shot down in May. She sung that line from the Sinatra song. Van wants her arrested because he can't sing. Now, this is a nasty, petty, vindictive little man. Ian Ogan, on the other hand, apologised to Mr. Swan uh, in person. Uh, Let me just see what it says here. I have been told that Ian Paisley contacted Robin Swan by telephone on Saturday. Sorry, and by telephone, and said he was sorry for any hurt caused. But still stood by his claims that the verbal assault made on uh, made on the health minister was was a parody. Well, Van Morrison didn't think it was a parody. He was very serious. And for those of you that don't know, here in Northern Ireland. You know, Van Morrison has his legendary status, well-deserved, I'm sure. But for, for working-class people like me, I, I'm a musician who who's works very closely with the the hospital in the hospitality industry and with the hosp- with the hospitality industry. And a significant number of people that I call friends are made up of bar staff, waiters, waitresses, barmen, and bar women, and bar managers, etc., etc. And I can assure you. Whenever you talk, mention Van Morrison's name, or whenever, if they tell you what Van Morrison was in tonight, and you go, oh, what's he like? Grumpy wee cunt is invariably the, the response that comes back. Not a pleasant individual. And he's been known to be such a grumpy wee cunt for quite a while. The best you'll get is an eye roll. Most people will be happy enough to fit him with that epitaph. Because he is. And this is him getting worse. He is 75. But... I don't know, he needs to be he needs to be going hanging out with his grandkids and just trying to write good songs, which he hasn't done in quite a while. I don't know. Whatever. So that's that. He's just making a complete arse out of himself. He's not achieving anything. No one's listening to him. And there you go. So maybe maybe Ian Oak did apologize because of uh 
you knew what was going to be happening to DUP this week, and we just wanted to get that one out of the way. There's going to be enough shit going on. I'm dead curious to find out. I'm going to tweet. Actually, I'm going to check Twitter. Stay with me. One second. DUP are going to be trending in Ireland. Edmund Poots, there you go, number 13. Latest. Stay with me, stay with me. Edwin Poots may be the shot in the arm that Tottenham Hotspur need. <laughs> oh, there's not deep in disarray. Paul given as first minister under threat if Edwin Poots loses the vote of confidence. So the vote, vote of confidence, that's seven minutes ago. So the vote of confidence is going ahead. Hasn't happened yet. So Paul Given was, was nominated as first minister and, and take off, took office as first minister this afternoon. It could be the shortest first ministerial position ever. But we'll find out. So here we go. I wanted to finish on this. I found this during the week and I love it. So I'm going to play my little theme as the little, the little divider. I found this during the week. And it's Japanese cinema funk. Now, I made a mistake. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to put it on in the background. I'll put it on. I really hope this video doesn't get pulled because of this. Because of any copyright shit. I'll put it, I'll put it on low. Where is it? There it is. I'm hoping that doesn't flag any copyright algorithms on YouTube. So. What I thought it was. Was a collection of 60s and 70s Japanese funk from Japanese movies and some of it is but not all of it is see I thought that's what it was and if you want to find this on YouTube it's also available on if you find the guy you can follow his links but this is class he's got this is volume 2 and the Knock Steady is a podcast and he did this mix and that's what this is so this is a mix of his set Okay, so this is volume two. He did a volume one, so go on there and listen to that, and then you can follow through to the guy on Instagram and the guy on SoundCloud, and his name is Trip Master Monk, and you can get his these mixes, which are just fantastic. The first, the, the vo- this is volume two. The first one is heavy with dialogue from movies. I love those sorts of things because you get you then spend quite a bit of time trying to guess the movie. But if you like funk and soul and disco and all that sort of stuff, which you do, I know you do, then check this out. Uh, check these mixes out; they're really, really good. There's, there's, new, there's a wee mix coming in there. See what he pulls in. Let's hear. Let's see what he does here. Check one, two. Oh, that's class. Oh, yes. Love that. Heavy stylized 60s cinema fuzz going on there. Love that shit. So, check that out. It's really good fun. I love that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I'm into the cinema music and all. Oh, and that's the other thing as well. The I haven't pulled this up, but... um. 
the the film that I did the soundtrack to the short film called Clan uh, it got another release that's going into I'll maybe put, I'll throw it on next week just to share that with you again it's going into uh, a film festival and the film that the Bonnevilles the film called The Boys from County Hell where they, 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 they took the Bonneville song Long Runs a Fox and we get the closing credit it just, when it drops it drops hard it's fantastic it's getting a cinema release that was the original intention for that film um, so yeah so that's good I was talking with uh, Connor Keyes and Mickey Bartlett around in Woodville the other day there and we were talking about that movie because Connor auditioned for that and it, it, the director is a mate of his and shit like that so yeah all very cool all very groovy so listen I'm going to keep talking over this because I do think well I'm going to stop now but I think that the, the YouTube algorithm might pull this video because of this musical on the background they're real dicks like that but go and check this guy out mix trip master monk trip master monk on Instagram YouTube SoundCloud the link for this track is in the description in the video of this and you'll find all those links there give us a little a little like and a subscribe everybody do that while you're watching sure if you would sure that would be fantastic um, I hope this live stream worked out I think it's I think it sort of did um, so there we go I'm gonna call this yeah I'm gonna pull it so that's me we're all done next week we're going to do uh, same again except hopefully on Wednesday as I said I didn't get the Wednesday done because it was I wasn't I was poorly poorly thick and uh, so there you go so there's that so every Wednesday 7 o'clock and then you can catch this on the podcast later on that night or the next day so thanks everybody thanks for tuning in and hope you enjoyed it cheery bye doodle bye